audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,253 of The Bugle. It is Monday, the 13th of February, 2023. I am Andy Zaltzman, and today we're looking back on another week in which not everything in the world has gone as well as it could have done. And until it does, we will keep this show going. I promise to can it as soon as a global utopia is established, but it does have to be a sustainable one. I'm not packing it in whenever the world has a perfect week. I want want a minimum of 10 years of solid utopian bliss before we wrap the bugle up so we will continue until then and joining me as we strive towards this uh, um, perfect world uh, from the californian state of california in san francisco it's nato green hello nato hello andy hello buglers how are you have you have you sh- have you sh- sort of shot any spy craft down out of the skies in san francisco you know it's it's in this moment it's hard hard to say whether uh the preferred outcome is the things in the sky are Chinese spyware or an actual alien invasion. I don't know which one I want more at the moment. <laughs> Joining us from uh, the Netherlands uh, is Ria Lena. Um, so, Ria, where exactly are you? Are you above or below sea level? Well, actually, do you know what? I'm actually hovering exactly at sea level because oh, I managed good. to harness one of those balloons, and it just and it's <laughs> just low enough to keep me hovering. So, you know, so the, the cuff of my jeans is wet. But other than that, right. I'm OK. Uh, we are recording on the 13th of February 2023. On this day in the year 962, Emperor Otto I and Pope John XII co-signed the Diploma Ottonianum. Uh, what a diploma that was. It was an agreement in which Otto, the highly rated king of Germany and Italy, would you believe, recognised the controversial young pope as ruler of Rome. Well, was it the right call? Well, just two years later, John XII was, according to unconfirmed reports, chucked to his death out of a window by an angry husband who reacted quite badly to finding the Pope engaged in some distinctly non-Vaticanaceous intercourtial congruentials with his wife. Not the ideal Pope death. Uh, as long-term uh, buglers may remember from uh, previous uh, worst Pope ever discussions, uh, John XII was a spectacularly low-grade Pope. He was uh, impoped at the tender age of 17 or 24, but let's say 17, he fell somewhat short of pontifical standards. He indulged in uh, bribery, not one, not two, not three, but four occasions. Um, he turned the uh, sacred palace into a distinctly unpopular brothel. He blinded, castrated, and murdered priests, which is the kind of thing that would definitely get him cancelled these days. Uh, and he was a bit into devil worship, uh, which is definitely not in the job spec for his uh, modern-day successors. And, as I said, eventually killed by a jealous husband, a far cry from the classic modern-day pope death which generally involves getting really old and stopping breathing. So it was uh, what an exciting day for John the Twelfth in 962, albeit that it didn't last. Otto himself remained king of Germany and Italy until his death in 973. And uh, I guess you have to think it's lucky he died then, because if he'd survived until the late 20th and early 21st century, he would have been put in a very awkward position as king of both Italy and Germany in the World Cup semi-finals of 1970, 1990 and 2006 as his two countries went head-to-head for a place in the final. Uh, We are recording, as I said, on the 13th of February, which means that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and that is our section in the bin this week, a special Bugle Valentine's Day pull-out section, uh, in which we ask, should St. Valentine be cancelled? 
The third century martyr and heartthrob was canonized for his services to the greetings card industry and his extraordinary miracle in which he termed the anonymously sent short and rubbish poem into a universally acknowledged gesture of amorousness. But does St. Valentine's silence on the recent comments of rapper Kanye West mean that he, that he is no longer a suitable role model for today's love-struck Romeos and Juliets? Besides, as patron saint of beekeeping, as well as overpriced meals out, is St. Valentine responsible for the dangerous trend of people sending swarms of bees to their beloveds, often causing, at best, a significantly ruined picnic, and at worst, a panicked, get those f***ing bees out of my f***ing bedroom. Uh, we investigate with the uh, leading cancerologist, Strevel Grunard. Also, we ask leading uh, cardiothoracic surgeon, Faustina van der Schnout, whether the heart is an appropriate symbol of love in 2023, given that hearts have been possessed by, and it should be said, used by the likes of Hitler, Putin, and the aforementioned Pope John the Twelfth. Besides, if you actually give someone your heart, Van der Schnout's research suggests that as a, uh, that it would range uh, somewhere from messy and awkward to rapidly fatal. And uh, finally, uh, St. Valentine's Day, obviously predominantly a commercial festival these days. We look at products that could do with a bit of a financial fillip by becoming associated with romance and therefore bought and given as Valentine's Day gifts. So to boost uh, various struggling uh, industries, uh, the most romantic bugle vegetable of the year is the parsnip. The most romantic piece of furniture of the year is the mahogany sideboard. The romantic vehicle of the year is the tractor. And the most romantic animal of the year is the rhinoceros. Uh, Because, you know, if people start sending rhinoceroses as romantic gifts. That will encourage a commercial breeding program, which could save the species. Uh, That section in the bin. Top story this week. Vladimir Zelensky has visited the renowned continent of Europe, including the United Kingdom, which is technically sort of part of the renowned continent of Europe. Uh, it's been uh, well a very exciting time uh, for Europe to be visited by by Zelensky, the Ukraine president and former comedian, a man who seems to see nothing at all wrong whatsoever with making other comedians in their forties whose surname begins with Z feel really quite shit about what they've chosen to do with their lives and careers. He went on a whistle stop tour of Europe last week to try to gain support, assistance, and above all fighter jets, and he returned home after visiting the UK, France and Brussels with applause and admiration ringing in his ears alongside the unmistakable sound of people saying, yeah, definitely, we'll chuck you some fighter jets, of course, no problem. Why wouldn't we? Yes, mate, of course, at some point, for sure. Not right now, but abs- I mean, it is really tricky. It was a, it was an interesting thing to watch politically, uh, this this visit. Uh, Nato, did it did, did it make big news across uh, across in America? Uh, yes, it did. I mean, I, I, I watched the video. Uh, Zelensky got to meet King Charles. And I watched the video, but I watched the video with the sound off. And if you watch King Charles's lips, you can clearly hear him say, see him saying, so this is what a Jew looks like. <laughs> um, so, uh, and yeah, as you said, he asked for fighter planes. He didn't get fighter planes. The UK offered to train fighter pilots without giving them the planes. So what use is the training with no planes? It's just a paperback copy of Air Combat for Dummies and watching Top Gun on Blu-ray. And then the pilots <laughs> get to go back to the Ukraine and stand in a field shouting at Russians. I dare you to park that plane over here. He he also met uh, uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, who said that nothing is off the table in terms of support, and nothing can be off the table doesn't mean that something is off the, is on the table. Yeah, I mean it's quite possible, Ria, isn't it, that there isn't even a table? So you can say that nothing is off it or on it if the table, as it seems, doesn't actually exist. I mean, especially when you're dealing with Rishi, who can barely see above the table. So it's possibly <laughs> that he was speaking in good faith. He just has no idea 
what is up on the table <laughs> or not, as the case may be. It's, do you know what? You know, the, it's true that the Brits are, I think we're, we're war obsessed. If you walk around London in particular, most of the statues are, are war statues. And when we saw Zelensky come, you could just see all these little boys getting so excited because a war hero was in their midst. And, and it was, it was kind of sad and pathetic to see. And then they made him go and see the king who can't, who definitely can't give him any fighter jets. You know, what does it, what can the king offer? I have, I have a pedophile brother that's dying to get involved. Can he be of use to you? Cause we can't use him over here. And Zelensky's <laughs> like, does he come with a plane? No, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was just cruel anyway to send him to the palace as if to go, look, ours is still standing. He gave a, an impassioned moving speech to Parliament that really showed British politics at its very best, our parliamentarians coming together as one under the banner of supporting democracy and then for once shutting the f*** up and letting a grown-up do the talking. So that was I mean, an exciting moment uh, for us. They met in, uh, in Westminster Hall, which is quite a historic building built in the late 11th century. It's played host to coronation banquets, the impeachment of Charles I, which, that resulted in a well, a disappointing reduction in the average number of heads still attached to the body of British monarchs at the end of their reigns. We're still hoping we can bump it back up to one per monarch, but it is going to take something uh, pretty special. And, of course, more recently, uh, Westminster Hall hosted Queen Elizabeth II's ceremonial shuffle past. But it was quite impressive. He managed not to be distracted by the magnificence of the largest clear-span medieval roof in Europe above him in Westminster Hall. Thank you, uh, the Internet. And he gave Parliament something it's really very unaccustomed to, a leader speaking with clarity, fluency, coherence, honesty, directness and passion. And it's really been a while since anyone senior in the same set of buildings has managed more than any one of those in a single speech or indeed, in some cases, an entire career. <laughs> it was kind of hard to know what to what to, he got. He got a lot of applause and then some extremely equivocal backing uh as it turns out that you know the the fighter planes that we said we definitely really absolutely like to give him don't technically exist he asked for help then they didn't do anything and then they waited until he left and then they said they would definitely do something and when asked what they would do and when they would do it it seemed like they said we will definitely buy <laughs> What what have we been doing all this time in terms of defense, in terms of where we're focusing our our what what little people power we have? I mean, it's a it's a real. Can I say shit show on this? You can absolutely say it's shit a real show. shit show. Yeah, it's an I mean, absolute it's of- shit show. And then Boris is there, you know, waving his underwear at Putin, going, "Go on, then hit me." I just <laughs> like it's the last thing we need. A- an unnamed cabinet minister quoted in the uh, the Independent. Uh, said, we haven't got any f***ing jets to give. Again, a rather more direct way of addressing the situation. And there was, um, uh, the the moment that really stood out for me was that gift that Zelensky made of a fighter pilot's helmet, which he handed to the House of Commons Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, a symbolic and rather pointed gift of a fighter pilot's helmet uh, on which was written, we have freedom, give us wings to protect it. And... Uh, in terms of gifts, it wasn't just a gift for the sake of giving a gift, was it? It was a point. It was a gift with a message. It was sort of like giving someone a set of baby socks on a second date. It's it's very much demanding <laughs> no. something, in, or giving your multi-millionaire uncle Travis a book entitled "How to Rewrite Your Will to Give More Money to Your Nieces and Nephews." It, it's a gift that is demanding something in return. And all credit to Lindsay Hoyle for not spoiling the moment by saying "Got one" 
or um, uh, I don't need this, mate. Uh, I don't own a fighter fighter jet. Or just saying he's going to stick it on eBay. So uh, it was impressive restraint. Andy, I I gave a gift like that once. Uh, so Rhea, I, it, I'm besides being a comedian, I'm also a union organizer. Many years ago, uh, we were trying to get this the the city to hire nurses for the county hospital. And uh, we marched into City Hall with hundreds of nurses and and hundreds of empty nurses' uniforms to sim- symbolize the vacant nurse positions and had nurses chanting through the corridors and dumped hundreds of vac- empty nurses' uniforms on the, on the mayor's doorstep. And it was a very dramatic moment. It was a gift to the mayor to give them the empty nurses' uniforms to fill. And the mayor appreciated so much it so much that they called my boss to demand an apology. <laughs> uh, an apology? Were they not in the mayor's size? I don't understand. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> seen as too aggressive uh, an action. Zelensky then went to to Europe after his visit to the UK. Um, for any of our British listeners, if you don't remember Europe, it's that bit between Dover and Africa from memory. Um, and he asked. <laughs> He asked Europe for fighter jets as well, which didn't make us in Britain feel particularly special. I, th- I thought he wanted our fighter jets, not just any fighter jets. Um, so they rather undermined the message of his uh, his visit. Um, uh, Boris Johnson, as you mentioned, he he suggested sending typhoon jets to Ukraine, which is the kind of thing that's much easier to promise when you're not actually prime minister anymore and haven't thought through the logistics of whether those particular planes would actually help, which, according to some experts... They wouldn't. They're not technically the right type of planes that Ukraine needs. So it's good to see Boris Johnson still has the completely vacuous token empty promise club in his political golf bag, all set for his uh, long-awaited uh, return. And uh, as you said, the fact is that our defence equipment at the moment uh, is yeah, in a suboptimal uh, condition, as is probably the case for most countries around the world. I saw one expert, albeit an expert that I made up, said that uh, the UK is ready for a defensive war of anything up to 19 minutes in duration. <laughs> Zelensky told the EU that a Ukraine that is winning should become a member of the EU, but uh, and that if if the Ukraine that is winning gets to join the EU, a Ukraine that is losing gets to become a member of the Wu Tang Clan. I think, <laughs> uh, and and he said uh, the report about his speech said that lawmakers stood in sober silence as the EU anthem "Ode to Joy" was played, and nothing says joy like sober silence. <laughs> <laughs> European Parliament President Roberto Mitsola said uh, that the response to uh, Putin's war against Ukraine must be proportional to the threat, and the threat is existential. When she says that Putin's war is an existential threat, she means that Zelensky could transform into a cockroach, kill an Arab, <laughs> be executed, and discover that there's no God and life has no meaning. Yeah, no, he went. So he went to France to ask for planes, but then he went to Brussels to ask for EU membership. Yeah, you know, and he and he was sort of saying, "Well, we're, our economy's in a mess. We barely have any energy. You know, the, 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 our people are poor and hungry." And they said, "Yeah, we just got rid of the UK. Why would we let you in? That's that's <laughs> like one for one. Um, that that doesn't make any sense." It was really interesting, actually, because he spoke in Ukrainian when he was in Brussels, but he spoke well. He spoke English everywhere else, and then in Brussels, where the the working language is English, he spoke Ukrainian because he's like, I want to feel at home here. (laughs) You want to feel at home here. And it's, and it's a tricky balance. I don't have a punchline for this. I'm just explaining the news now. (laughs) I would just say, I just was fascinated by it that he he went, I want to feel like I'm at home here. And and my heart strings are just like, yes, I want it to be a happy ending. I love a happy ending. But then if you look at the Balkans, there's some Balkan states that have been standing in line for a very long time. That you sort of go, this is this is tricky because what message are you sending? Uh, if you want to come in fast, get to war, and we'll let you in straight away. <laughs> I don't know, you know that. 
that's the last thing that we need. Well, particularly, you know, from a British point of view, if we, if we want to rejoin the EU at some point, does that mean we're going to have to have, you know, look at a war with Norway or something to, to get our way back into the EU? These things get very, these were not discussed before the Brexit vote in 2016, which is irresponsible politics. I think we could win that war, though, a war with Norway. Really? Right, because you already said it. We've got like 19 minutes worth of artillery. And they have such good labor laws that they'd probably like insist on the entire military having a holiday for their own mental health after 15 <laughs> minutes. I think we're in. In his speech to the EU, Zelensky said, quote, the sooner we get heavy long range uh, weapons and our pilots get modern planes, Emmanuel, the earlier our pi- pilots can get modern planes, Olaf, the more powerful will be our tank coalition. I thought it was funny that Zelensky was on a first name basis with the heads of state. That, like not addressing people by their respectable titles. It was as if he was doing a military aid version of Paul Simon's song, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Uh, <laughs> give me a tank, Hank. Give me a bomb, Tom. Give me a grenade, Wade. Give me a bazooka, Luca. Give me an M16, Gene. <laughs> there was one moment of truly ext- extraordinary, bizarre 21st centuryness when at a U- United Nations meeting, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd appeared on a big screen on a video call from the Swiss Alps at the invitation of Vladimir Putin's Russia and then got zinged by the Ukrainian ambassador (laughs) with one of his own lyrics saying he was just another brick in the Kremlin's wall. And I think, I don't know where the 21st century can go from there. Roger Waters on a big screen, a 60s rock star on a big screen talking about the Ukraine-Russia war getting zinged with his own lyrics. Where, where you know, I mean, uh, uh, unless a pregnant Rihanna had floated down from the ceiling on a special platform <laughs> whilst he was doing it, it's hard to know where else civilization can go from that moment. American news now, and uh, Joe Biden last week delivered his State of the Union speech. Uh, we are now past the halfway point in uh, his presidential term, and not long now, until we get stuck into the inevitably putrid journey into the rotting heart of democracy that will be the 2024 presidential election. Um, NATO, what did you, what did you make of, of, of Biden's speech and what it said about, you know, where, where America is at this point in his presidency? you, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we tried to avoid punching down on this show. (laughs) The the, uh, Biden's speech was good. I mean, a lot of most of the the discourse, as they say, the coverage of the speech focused on the heckling. QAnon Congresswoman Marjorie Marjorie Taylor Greene showed up in a white fur coat uh, and jeered and yelled during Biden's speech. Uh, She basically showed up looking and acting as if cocaine were a person. And I, 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 people were yelling at Biden. I, and I understand this, that this wouldn't be as shocking to you because you have question time in parliament. But imagine that if you had to watch question time and if half the parliament were armed with AR 15s and were also, instead of humans, actual pu- puffer fish, um, <laughs> just like bloated and spiny to scare away potential predators. There was also an altercation where, uh, Republican Senator uh, Mitt Romney confronted noted liar George Santos. Uh, and they had a tense exchange in which Romney said, you don't belong here and you should be embarrassed. And then apparently Santos asked Romney for a donation of $5 million to an imaginary <laughs> charity. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was 
the mission of which is to graft a sense of shame onto himself, uh, but he intends to use that money for rent. In the official Republican response to the State of the Union, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that Biden is captive to a woke mob who can't even tell you what a woman is. Now, can't tell you what a woman is, I'll tell you. I'll just cut to the chase. A woman is someone who tells you that they're a woman. Like, I don't normally go through my life and meet someone and they're like, hi, my name is Elizabeth. And then I go, prove it. <laughs> if anyone, I meet anyone with a ladylike demeanor, I say, clits out, dicks out, like rock, <laughs> paper, scissors. Let's see what we're working with. They yelled at Biden. They jeered. They called him a liar. Uh, Biden got a lot of credit for hand, handling hacker, hecklers as a comic. I respect that he didn't go to the usual comedian's comeback uh, of, say, of saying, hey, Republicans, leave me alone. I'm working. I don't go go to where you work and knock Tucker Carlson's dick out of your mouth. <laughs> um, but he did say I shagged your mom at one point, <laughs> which was awkward because he made it weird. Uh, he said that Republicans want to cut Social Security and Medicare, which they do. And then they booed him for saying their own position out loud in public. Uh, so he asked everyone to come together and say Social Security and Medicare are, are safe and it was described as a masterful political move by Joe Biden because we can count on Republicans to never lie for political gain. He said folks a lot in the speech. Uh, and if you had like played a drinking game during the speech where you took a drink every time that Biden said folks, by the end of the speech, you would have had cirrhosis of the liver so bad uh, <laughs> you would have passed it on to generations of your descendants. Um, <laughs> but the speech really focused on like rebuilding the, the middle class. And he said, he said, like, typical sort of Biden kind of, like, folksy homilies. Like, he said, when world leaders ask me to define America, I say I could define it in one word, and I mean this, possibilities. I would have gone with defiantly ignorant, but do you, Joe <laughs> Biden? And then he said, where is it written that America can't lead the world in manufacturing? I don't know where that's written. And that is an easy question to answer. It was actually written in uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement that Joe Biden <laughs> voted for in 1993. Uh, that's where he, he wrote it down himself. Um, he also said, and by the way, every time someone smarts a, starts a small business, it's an act of hope. And I would say it depends on the business. Um, I'm not sure I'd consider Dave's Suicide Emporium an act of hope. <laughs> He talked about bringing jobs back and giving people pride. He said, maybe that's you watching from home. You remember the jobs that went away. You remember them, don't you? To which America said in one voice, no, we're Americans. We don't believe in historical memory. We don't remember anything longer ago than the last time the McRib was on the menu at McDonald's. Uh, he wants to create jobs and pride. I have a different proposal. How about a middle-class standard of living with pride but no jobs? Uh, there's so much, we, by the, we have so much wealth here that by redistributing the wealth, we could get everything done, work two days a week. We could let the robots do the work and we could just write poems and f There we go. We're reaching that utopia I mentioned at the start of the show. I really enjoyed the speech. I was, I was really impressed. I thought, I mean, first of all, I thought it, it made sense, which was great. I mean, you know, I, I, it did. Well, is it did is make, that not electoral it, suicide making sense, Rhea? In, in the current political climate, 
Is that not the worst thing he could do if he wants to win election? I think re-election? you have to remember, like, this is Joe Biden, all right? Joe Biden's been a politician for about 150 years, okay? And we <laughs> haven't seen this kind of sense from him in a little while, all right? He's given a number of speeches, he said a number of things, and it's not often that you can go, hang on a second, you've connected A to B to C, and, and it actually makes some kind of sense. Now, they're all allowed to kind of present the numbers that in the way that suits them. That's part of the job. We understand that. And he did. But I am a little bit worried. I'm a little bit worried. So, A, it made sense. B, I thought he used those skills masterfully against the Republicans. You know, hey, some Republicans, not all Republicans, but some Republicans hate old people and sick people. And they're like, hey, that's not us. And he went, great, we're on the same team. So I think that Kamala better sort of brush up a little bit because we might be needing her sooner than she than she thinks. I know that Joe Biden thinks he's running in 2024, but after the but after the marvelousness of that State of the Union address, I'm not sure he's got it in him to get that far. <laughs> UK news. Uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has um, uh, had a little reshuffle in his uh, in his government. Reshuffle is a, a composite word um, in reverse order. It's taken from kerfuffle, shamozzle, and really desperate attempt to convey a veneer of authority. And um, amongst uh, one of the more the stranger things that happened, and it wasn't a particularly major reshuffle as these things go, but he promoted a guy to become deputy chair. Of the Tory party, the, the former chair, Nadim Zahawi, was sacked a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a guy called Lee Anderson, uh, who uh, gave an interview in which he expressed his support for capital punishment. And he did so by saying, nobody has ever committed a crime after being executed, suggesting that this meant it had a 100% success rate. Now, the, the problem with this argument is it's, it's not really an argument in favour of capital punishment as an argument in favour of the end of all humanity. <laughs> um, and I mean, so you like about the end to all human life, but the crime stats are going to be sensational. And 100% success rate very much depends on how you define success. Uh, because if you include fatal and irreparable miscarriages of justice, then I guess it might dip down below the 100% uh, mark. And, and also based on the number of MPs who've ended up on the naughty side of the law, if this is Lee Anderson's method of dealing with crime and preventing reoffending, Westminster might be needing a fresh supply of our current method of state execution. Uh, and I had to check the catalogue for this because we we don't use it a lot now. Uh, the Execute Easy Fatal Fast Instant Death Socks and the Guilt Trip Judicial Blaster 2000X Human Catapult, which are both surprisingly humane and actually uh, quite fun. Um, but s- seldom used these days. It- it's quite hard to see uh, who he was trying to appeal to here. If the Conservatives, uh, who've seen their support dwindling spectacularly, are now a- appearing to uh, try to appeal to even fewer people than they currently are. No, I think this is Lee trying to appeal to the far left, um, because this whole thing about no one's ever committed a crime after they die, I mean, that's the ultimate cancel culture, isn't it? I think if, <laughs> if he's not getting a few lefty votes after that kind of rhetoric, then, you know, I think the Tory party are doomed. So he's trying, at least. He's trying. But he, I didn't realize this, because the things that he says are sometimes so extremely Tory. I didn't realize that he was actually a Labour councillor until just before he became a, a Tory MP. One of the things he said was, my youngest son cried when I joined the Tory party. That was the toughest part. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) really? The hardest thing was breaking your own child's heart? But... (laughs) 
Well, well then, by all means, you are ready to be a fully fledged Tory MP because you have no heart left. You have no, you passed the test. Well done. And uh, it's just, this, this man's amazing though. Uh, he's absolutely amazing. One of the Momentum members said to him once, have you read the works of Karl Marx? And he went, of course I've not. Nobody reads that rubbish. <laughs> great. great. So education is in safe hands as well. Um, th- I mean, this, he's Boris without the charm, dare I say it? I didn't know anything about him, and I, but I saw that he was from Nottingham, and I have an old friend in in Nottingham, and I and I just texted him Lee Anderson question mark, and he wrote back twat. So um, <laughs> he claims that people come up to him and tell him, "You say what I think." I'm thinking. I'm not sure that's a good quality in a conservative party <laughs> politician, like. To just go around saying everyone's interior monologue. Like, do you really want an MP sitting there all day being like, I would have sex with her. I wouldn't have sex with her. Did I turn the stove off? Um, the, the Tories are really struggling at the moment. They're um, they're locked in a titanic battle with the Labour Party, but unfortunately for the Conservatives, they're the ship and Labour is the iceberg. They've slumped to 23% in the latest polling. James Cameron is sniffing around for the film rights. And to make things worse, former Prime Minister Liz Truss, who you may remember last year completed an epic, I think it was 49 days in office, including her notice period at the end, has uh, sort of launched a comeback with a bizarre 4,000-word essay in the Daily Telegraph, which is essentially a, a former newspaper that is now uh, pretty much the Conservative Party news, uh, newsletter. And she defended her economic strategy in the manner of the manager of a zoo defending their headline-grabbing Open Cages initiative whilst giving a press conference from inside the stomach of a lion. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to know what Britain needs less than Liz Truss making a comeback, other perhaps than Boris Johnson making a comeback but they but but i guess this is the state of our politics that they're never more than one article away i mean i feel it's almost too soon to really tell if it is a comeback because usually you know in the in all of the superhero movies the baddie comes back ta-da, you know and then and then they wreak havoc uh don't they but i feel like this might be one of those slapstick movies where she goes i'm back and then immediately falls off a cliff and that's it um <laughs> so i think i think it's almost too soon to say to call it even a comeback, what we had was someone wrote a really long essay for no reason and put it behind a paywall. So only those that really wanted to know about it read it. It's clear that she obviously thought, cause the hundred days in office is, is a, is a big moment for any politician. They do it in the States for the president. They do it here for the prime minister. And she never got hers. I mean, she's the shortest ever prime minister. She never even got her hundred days in office. And so I think she obviously planned to have this big, ha, he's not doing very well on Rishi, but Rishi isn't doing as badly as she had anticipated he would do in order for this to be her big moment to come back and go, well, let, let's refocus on what I was going to say was going to happen. Um, and he's pulled a few tricks out of his bag that she that she she didn't see coming. You know, he's just like, I'm going to focus on science. And she's like, I, I, I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know what science is. <laughs> it was basically on her 100 days out of office that, that this article uh, came out. So um, obviously didn't want to miss out on that, that 100 days landmark. But unfortunately for her, it had to be after she'd been turfed out for historic levels of incompetence. Uh, One final story before we go. Uh, The Church of England, as well as uh, voting to bless same-sex partnerships, is reportedly considering forcing God, the renowned front deity of Christianity, to use gender-neutral pronouns or face being sacked and replaced with Eddie Izzard. That's obviously not what happened, 
But it's a story <laughs> about gender, so all bets are off and all reality is off. That The story is that some people in the Church of England are considering advocating gender-neutral terms for God, or at least making God a bit less of a dude. Where do you see this? I mean, and where do you see this, you know, where do you see God taking take it do you think he'll take it well they are a, a trilogy anyway right aren't they it's my my rudimentary understanding what i find amazing about this is that this is the church of england who just a week and a half ago decided that they would still not allow same-sex marriage in church but now they're going to respect god's decision to be genderless or at least to to be able to opt in and out of of, of gender what i mean is it, it just boggles my mind that we are going to respect the gender choices of god and then once god has chosen a gender or not chosen a gender then who's going to be the one to tell them uh, tell them sorry who's going to be the one to tell them that they then can't get married in their own churches <laughs> I sort of like the idea of God having like a Schrodinger's gender, like God occupying all genders and none simultaneously until the moment of prayer. And then for the duration of that prayer only, God resolves to a single gender. <laughs> That's a really good point, actually. All this time, God has been a he, but God enters you when you pray. So what about all the men who were like anti homo homo you know that, that were homophobic and yet allowing God to enter them as a he? Like it's just just God's a top. I think we can all agree. <laughs> is God a top? God is a top. <laughs> On that bombshell, we do have to bring this episode of The Bugle to, uh, to a close before we are all struck down by their vengeance. Um, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Nato, any shows to plug to our listeners? Sure. If you're in San Francisco, I will be back at Cheaper Than Therapy on the 24th of February. Uh, for two shows, and uh, I've, I have a, a couple of albums out, uh, the NATO Green Party and the Whiteness album. Best place to buy them to support uh, sending money to me and my family is through Bandcamp. Otherwise, Mr. Nato Green on Instagram, Nato Green on Twitter. Uh, Rhea, anything to plug? Uh, if you're in the UK this autumn, um, I'm going to be doing my tour, Reawakening, so I'd love to see you at one of those shows. Go to my website, Rialina.com, for tickets. Uh, otherwise, keep an eye out on my Instagram and Twitter. If you're on either of those, it's at Rialina underscore for new dates as we add them uh, further afield and outside the UK as they come. Well, thank you both for joining us. We will now play you out with more contributions to the Bugle Wall of Fame to join the Bugle Voluntary Subscription Scheme to give a one-off or recurring contribution to keep the show free, flourishing and independent. Go to thebuglepodcast.com. Matthew DeCoste suggested to the makers of Pokemon that they base their cards on fictional creatures rather than historical villains as they had originally planned. In the face of initial resistance to this idea, Richard Haynes stepped in to make the persuasive argument that children would be more receptive to the likes of Pikachu and Bulbasaur than, for example, the 16th to 17th century Hungarian mass murderer Elizabeth Bathory and low-grade Roman Emperor Ella Gabalus. Tom Begley further suggested that history might wind people up less in general if history books were rewritten to blame the great atrocities of human history on Pokemons, but this constructive suggestion was scuppered by a court case. Tony Liang has calculated using an algorithm that the maximum possible number of Pokemons is 21 million, coincidentally the same as the total number of bitcoins. Alexander Iasad overheard this and suggested replacing the US dollar 
with renowned Pokemon Charmander as the default global trading currency. Albert Farkas was the person who discovered, on rifling through some unattended archives, that the Battle of Waterloo had taken place in 1815. Previously, it had been assumed that Napoleon was simply abducted by aliens. Jane Polyakov, on studying the first hot air balloon flight, which happened in 1783, featuring a sheep, a duck and a cockerel, came to the conclusion that it was probably just some French chef trying something fancy to impress the Michelin judges. And Dave Anderson corroborates that research by tracing the origin of the popular British pub food classic Chicken in a Basket to that pioneering effort by the Montgolfier brothers. Donald Clark formulated an alternative theory whereby the Montgolfiers were in fact trying to solve a riddle along the lines of the famous fox-chicken grain puzzle in which you had to get a sheep to fall in love with a cloud, a duck to fly without flapping its wings and a cockerel to get vertigo. And Seth Guinels Cooperman invented the hyphen initially in an effort to curb the continual elongation of words that had taken the average word length to 8.6 letters by the mid to late 20th century from just 1.7 letters in the grunt-heavy 10,000 BC era. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.